0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Christmas. Christmas is observed literally all over the world, and the traditions and customs are varied as the countries in which they are found. For example, in Australia... Uh, Santa's sleigh is pulled by eight white kangaroos. Christmas dinner is then eaten outdoors and followed by a uh, visit to the beach and a game of cricket. I'll take the beach. In Germany, children decorate their Christmas lists with pictures and then leave them On the windowsill overnight, weighed down by a little bit of sugar so that they won't be missed by Father Christmas. The Christmas season begins December 16th in Mexico, Honduras, and El Salvador. This is the first of nine nights of a celebration called, and I apologize if I don't pronounce it correctly, Les Posadas. And pasada is the Spanish word for lodging. And the Christmas time pasadas are colorful processions or parades that reenact Joseph and Mary's search for an inn. At the head of each procession is a child dressed as an angel, followed by two more children dressed as Joseph and Mary. More angels, shepherds, and then the three kings follow. And everyone carries a lit candle. And as they walk, the participants sing special carols. And eventually the procession stops at the house of a friend or a family member, and Joseph and Mary knock at the door and ask for a room for the night, to which the people inside the house say, Go away. And Joseph says, My wife is with child and needs a place to rest. Again, the people say, Go away. And finally, Joseph reveals the fact that Mary is about to give birth to the Christ child. The door opens and the procession goes in. And after a prayer is said, the party begins. Piñatas, special candies, sandwiches, fruit punch, singing and games highlight the occasion. One more I'd mention is in Denmark. Uh, It's called the Christmas Heart. And it's an interwoven paper basket in the shape of a heart. And it is made of red and white paper, which happen to be the colors of the Danish flag. And these paper hearts are put on the Christmas tree or used as mobiles. You know how we used to get for the kids, the mobiles? And they are filled with candy and other goodies. And the Christmas heart is a traditional Danish symbol. Most Christmas trees, including the big tree in Copenhagen's Town Hall Square, are decorated with these red and white woven paper hearts. This Christmas heart is a piece of tradition that here in the United States that we don't participate as much. Yet I wonder if we might not begin a greater tradition, one of making absolutely certain that each of us develops a true Christmas heart. One deep inside of us that develops an expressed wish that we could, you know, Put up some of the Christmas spirit in jars and open that jar later on in the following year so that we can remember how special this time really is. Harlan Miller once expressed a wish that was something like that that we wish we could bottle it, that we could save it up for another time when maybe we're not feeling so joyful or we forget the reason why. We celebrate the reason why we live a kingdom life. Might be a good thing, but it's kind of wishful thinking, isn't it? Wouldn't it be much better if we could develop a true Christmas heart instead, instead of having to bottle it and go back to it later? What if we had that feeling all the time? The Lord says that we don't base a lot of our thinking upon the way we feel. But it's hard to get past the fact that when we celebrate Christmas, there is a certain feeling. And of course, that feeling changes over time as we go from children to adults. But it should be the same feeling. There's a reason why we have that feeling. And that's because Christ is in the center of all that we believe. It's no secret that Christianity and Christmas are increasingly under assault in our culture. Not that long ago, a nativity display that had marked Christmas for nearly 40 years had to be removed from outside a Dallas, North Carolina courthouse after a complaint from the Freedom from Religion Foundation. And in another case, a nativity scene was removed from front of a city hall in Florida after a complaint from the same group. And in both cases, the city declined to pursue legal fights because of the potential costs. Certainly none of us are happy about the direction of our culture when it comes to the way it treats Christmas and Christianity as a whole. But the question of how to respond to what is occurring leaves us with no easy answers, does it? The message this morning is going to take a different approach than I had first intended. But a couple of posts I read this week kind of got me thinking about the theme of God with us ought to impact how we deal with others, especially unbelievers. This time of year, when I think about the way that God came to be with the sinful world that rejected him, it seems to me that we could learn some important lessons from his incarnation. So I'm praying that the message this morning will help all of us to make some practical applications from what we'll learn. So this morning we'll wrap up this series of Good News of Christmas, and we've already seen that Christmas is good news because it means that we can fear not. Christmas is proof of God's sovereignty and His grace. And when we humbly seek Him and join Him where He is already at work, God allows us to live a life that is free from fear. We also saw that Christmas is good news because it reveals that there is a Savior. Because of Christmas, God makes it possible for us to experience the salvation that we can't possibly attain on our own and be saved from the penalty. The theme for this morning message comes from the angel's message to Joseph recorded in Matthew chapter 1. You can turn there now. Matthew chapter 1. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he, and his will, saves his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, of course, means God with us. There is one of only three places in the Bible where we find the term Emmanuel. And we'll look at the other two in a moment. But most of you have probably seen Emmanuel spelled with an I. Emmanuel, or with an E, Emmanuel, and wondered what the difference is. Emmanuel, with an I, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, in other words, with us. Plus L, which is... God, so God with us. Emmanuel with an E is a transliteration of the Greek Emmanuel, which is merely the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word. So they're almost interchangeable with slight differences. So either spelling conveys the idea of God with us, Matthew confirms that meaning when after quoting Isaiah 7, 14, he explains to his readers that the name Emmanuel with an I means God with us. And you can make reference to Isaiah chapter 7, and and I'm not going to have the time to read the entire chapter, but if you want to go there, you'll be able to follow along as I share what is going on here. Isaiah chapter 7. But as I mentioned earlier, the word Emmanuel with an i is only found 3 times in the Bible, and of course we just looked at one of those in Matthew chapter 1. The other two are both found in Isaiah here in chapter 7 in verse 14 and again in chapter 8 verse 8. But Isaiah 7:14 says this: Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We find the context for this prophecy at the beginning of chapter 7. Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern two tribes of Israel, and Israel, the northern ten tribes, has made an alliance with Syria and their two respective kings, Pekah and Rezin. And they have come to Jerusalem to wage a war against Judah. And because Ahaz has been a wicked king and has not followed God, he was rightfully frightened about his prospects against the two powerful armies that he was about to face. But God sent Isaiah to Ahaz to assure him that God would deliver his people. Not for Ahaz's sake, but because of his faithfulness to the people. God commanded Ahaz to ask him for a sign, but when Ahaz refused, God gave him a sign anyway, the one that we just read in verse 14. And in the rest of chapter 7, in the first part of verse 8, we find Both the meaning of the sign and the fulfillment of this prophecy during Ahaz's reign. So God is going to bring forth a child who will be named Emmanuel. And while that child is still very young, God is going to be with Judah and protect them by using the king of Assyria to come and conquer both Syria and Israel before they can wage war on Judah. But in verses seven and eight, we see that after that, Assyria is going to keep on advancing into Judah and it will rise all over its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So Judah is going to be attacked by Assyria, but They will not be destroyed because Judah is the land of Emmanuel, God with us. The Messiah that God had earlier promised would come from the line of David, from whom the tribe of Judah. And so this prophecy is God's assurance to the people that regardless of how much it might appear... God will be with him in a way that guarantees his purposes cannot be thwarted. So this is the message we see repeated again in the next two verses. And it goes on and on and on. It says, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together but it will come to nothing, for God is with us. The people of Judah are going to be shattered, but it's not going to mean their defeat, because God's purposes are going to stand. And the reason that is true is because God is with them. And so that phrase, God is with us, at the end of verse 10 is the Hebrew word, Emmanuel, once again, with the I. In the midst of gross moral and spiritual wickedness, when hopelessness prevailed, God was going to give a sign that there is indeed hope. And that's what we celebrate, isn't it? We celebrate hope. Hope. The idea that God would send his son to live, to die, and be resurrected for the sake of our salvation and to gain his entrance with him in glory. And over 700 years later, Matthew took that prophecy and applied it to the birth of Jesus and so, this is another instance of what we would call a double prophecy. One that had an immediate fulfillment in the present, but which also awaited a more complete fulfillment in the future. And I venture to say, when the Lord comes again, it might be called a triple prophecy. The Bible's funny with numbers, isn't it? And the number three is very important. But I think when the Lord comes again, of course we won't be here to call it that, but I think we could say without uncertainty that that would be a triple prophecy. When we studied Old Testament prophecies related to the day of the Lord when we were talking about Old Testament study, this is in connection um, with a study with Revelation, and we're going to actually get get into that a little bit next year. But there is a number of those double prophecies in connection with the second coming of Jesus. So we really shouldn't be surprised to find the same thing when it comes to his incarnation. By calling Jesus Emmanuel and connecting his birth with the prophecy in Isaiah, Matthew is essentially confirming that deliverance and salvation was coming to this earth in a most unique and amazing way. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to always be with his people. Like I said, the sermon took on a whole different meaning for me this week, but originally I was going to go into some detail explaining the importance of the incarnation of Jesus of God coming to dwell with us in human form. But then I ran across a piece from 1965 that does that certainly more eloquently and memorably than anything that I could ever present to you. So this is by Paul Harvey, and I wanna give you the rest of the story. It says, Jesus humbled himself and left the glory of heaven to come here to earth and be with us so that he could, in the words of Paul Harvey, he says, Speak our language and tell us not to be afraid and show us the way. To help us to see and understand. Last week, we talked about how our sin has separated us from God. But rather than waiting for us to come to him... Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us, and the way he chose to do that has some important implications for us. So let me point out just two of them for you. First, we need to address those of you from the holidays and the ones that we're experiencing now. We know that sometimes they can be tough. Um, Some of you have already expressed some things to me this morning, and I understand that those kinds of things can make us feel downtrodden, and, and maybe even question why God would allow such things to take place, especially in people that we love, that we care for, or some people that we've known for a long time and we've prayed for. And as we go into a holiday like this, things become more heightened, Because we stress the importance of family, of getting together, to reaching out to those that maybe we don't reach out to during the year. But you know what it's like and the pain of that when we have separation. Be it from death, be it from distance or broken relationships or some other reason. Maybe you're dealing with an illness of your own or with that of someone you love. And maybe you really dread this time of year because you're having financial difficulties or the stress of the seizing of itself is overwhelming. I had my overwhelming moment last night. Just the busyness of everything. I got caught up in it. And I allowed it to change my mood a bit. And while I've kept Christ in the middle of all the celebrations, I found myself dwelling on something that I could not control, even though I tried my best to. But I could not control it, and I forgot to remember how blessed I was to be in that situation and to be in a place where God I know has placed me for a reason. And I had to sleep on it. And I remembered this morning. And it brought me back. Almost like I had that extra bottle waiting for me so that I could open up and say, oh yeah, Christmas joy, right? But then I remembered. As believers, I needed, we need to remember that the Christmas spirit and how it takes us and how it should affect us. I say that to say this. If Christmas is a struggle for you then we must remember that in god's promise for us in the midst of that pain god says that you are not alone because he's with us and his presence is the only present we need christmas is the evidence that jesus is indeed god with us And because of that, even though we may struggle and face difficulties, he will be right there beside us throughout the pain. And if you allow him, his presence will sustain us through whatever trials we may go through. I'm reminded again of one of my favorite Bible passages. It says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, for I am with you. And because Christmas is the evidence that Jesus is Emmanuel, it is also our assurance that God will be faithful to his promise. That one day, those who have trusted in Jesus alone for their salvation, We'll get to spend eternity physically in his presence in a place where there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. So if Christmas is a tough time for you on any of these reasons, take comfort in the fact that Jesus is with you. And the Christmas spirit is praise and worship. Matthew 2.11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. The wise men, the three kings, when they found Jesus, fell down and worshipped him. And still today, wise people still worship Jesus. Listen to this letter written to God. You see, God, it's like this. We could attend church more faithfully if your day came at some other time. Because you've chosen a day that comes at the end of a hard week. We're just kind of tired. Not only that, but it's a day following Saturday night. And Saturday night is when we get to go out and have a good time. And Often it's after midnight when we get home, and it's almost impossible to get up on Sunday morning. And you must realize that you have picked a day in which the biggest newspaper takes longer to read, those of you who still get the paper. And it's the day when the biggest meal of the week must be prepared. We'd like to go to church, and know we should, but you've just chosen the wrong day. Now, maybe you and I wouldn't come out so bluntly and talk to God that way. But in our life practices, we communicate just that. Coming up with all kinds of excuses to not worship Jesus. The true Christmas spirit is about praising and worshiping our wonderful Christ. Philippians 2, 8-11 says this, One day, we will all worship either because we choose or after death because God chooses. And secondly, the Christmas spirit is sharing Jesus. It's a gift we all need to share. Luke 2.17, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, the Christ child... They spread the word concerning they had been told them about this child. Those early shepherds spread the word about Christ. And Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says of the early Christians, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Key word, wherever. It doesn't matter where God has placed us or where he's going to place us. He's given us a direct order, hasn't he? Preach the word of Christ. The early Christians spread the good news about the Lord Jesus wherever they went. And in the marketplaces, from house to house, in their daily living, everywhere. And we need to do the same thing. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, If the kingdom is ever to come to our Lord, it will never come through a few ministers, missionaries, or evangelists preaching the gospel. It must come through every one of us preaching it in the shop and by the fireside when walking abroad when that preaching the word of God in the churches is not enough to get the job done. It can't fall here. It lies there we have a job to do. If Christmas is about anything at all, it is the matter of telling the world about the Christ who came to save them from their sins and give them a home in heaven. The Christmas spirit is about sharing Jesus. And finally, let me come back to where we began this morning so we can see how the idea that God is with us should impact how we deal with others, especially unbelievers, and during the Christmas season. It seems to me that the way Jesus came to be with us is instructive. The way he dealt with all of mankind ought to be the model for the way that we deal with others. First of all, Jesus came humbly. As we've talked about before, he chose to be born to an unwed teenage mom who is betrothed to a carpenter. And when he was born, he was placed in, of all things, an animal's feeding trough, surrounded not by royalty or the rich and famous, but by Mary and Joseph, some animals and lowly shepherds. Second, as Jesus grew up, he began to engage with other people. He always invited people to become part of his kingdom. He never tried to coerce them. He treated people with grace and mercy. And although he never condoned sin, and he pointed out people's sin when necessary, he always did that in a very loving and gracious way. He, as Paul would later exhort his followers to do, spoke the truth in love. Keep Christ in Christmas is a slogan of choice for many Christians during this time of year. And we see that phrase used all over the place, Facebook posts, so on and so on. However, while keep Christ in Christmas is a good way for Jesus' followers to remember the season, the slogan should never be used as a means to force others to do so. I guess I'd never really considered that that this seemingly innocuous phrase could be viewed like that. But the more I thought about it, the more I understood how unbelievers more like more likely than not, do view it as a two-by-four coming across their face. Christianity was never intended to be forced on people. The gift of Christ was never intended to be forced on people. It was for all to receive for those who accepted it. And I know that's hard for us to accept, at times, especially when we have loved ones and friends and individuals who desperately need Christ, but we're not able to facilitate that in our own way, the way that we might seem fit for them to do so. It is our job to simply be the vessel and allow God to move us where he wants us to be moved. Trying to convince them that they need to Celebrate Christmas in a certain way that is totally contrary to the way that they think. Trying to force the message of Jesus' birth into the pattern of the world is an exercise in futility. I think you might agree with me. But it seems to me that the same logic applies to making a big deal about whether some person or some business says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays Do we really think arguing about that is ever going to convince anyone to check out who Jesus is or attract him to investigate his body, the church? I bet I would get different answers here. And you're both correct. We have an opportunity to share Christ on a daily basis. And I believe if we're led by the Holy Spirit, he will lead us into those conversations and allow us to direct it in the way that not the way we want, but the way that God would have us do so. Given the manner in which Jesus came to be God with us, I think there is a better approach that is more consistent with the way he came. I think the author of this summed it up very well with this approach. It says, Advent... And Christmas is the church's time to reflect, ponder and anticipate the king's arrival. And as we wait for his return and we should point people to the story and invite them to experience it themselves. However, the means we use to do so should echo the means God used. Humility, invitation and embrace. Keep Christ and Christmas is a good way for us to remember this season. But the slogan should never be used as a means to force others to do so. Why is that? Because Christmas is proof enough of how much God loves us. What about that first Christmas? A lot of us are caught up in the cost Of Christmas, understandably. And it's even worse this year. But was the first Christmas costly? Think about that. Was the first Christmas costly? Sure it was. It cost Mary and Joseph the long trip to Bethlehem. And then the journey to Egypt to protect Jesus from Herod. It cost mothers and fathers in and around Bethlehem the massacre of their babies by Herod. It cost the shepherds time from their work from a journey to Bethlehem. It cost the wise men a long journey and expensive gifts. It cost God the Father, His Son. It cost Jesus His life. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8. Is Christmas costly? Yes. Is Christmas too costly? Christmas is too costly if it does not mean hope. Period. The world has been looking for the Messiah for years. The waiting had become long, and the world was almost without hope when the angels brought their message. Of hope, And those who know the Christ will never be without hope. The hopeless are all those without Christ. So Christmas is too costly if we don't experience the forgiveness of sins. Many people have overlooked the true meaning of Christmas. If we forget that Jesus' purpose for coming into this world was to seek and save the lost then yes, Christmas is too costly. Luke 2.11 and I close this morning. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. One of the greatest privileges we have as Christians is to Share Jesus with those who do not know him. And we must respond to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Because there is no greater love than what God has done for us. By sending his son to the earth to become our sacrifice. And Christians, we must share and show that love to a world that needs Jesus. Amen. Shouldn't our presence in the lives of others reflect that kind of love that was characterized by humility and grace? I believe so. Otherwise, Christmas is too costly. Amen? Amen. Dave. As we close this morning, I want to thank Rochelle for sharing on her guitar with us. Thank you. Appreciate that. Just the beginning, right? Get those fingers going. It has been good to be in worship with you this morning. Let's stand together. Let's sing the name that we talked about this morning from the pulpit. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Amém yeah. yeah. to join us this evening 6 o'clock for our candlelight service again those involved please be here by 515 as we practice for the reading of the Christmas story and for us to have an opportunity to reflect and a time for us to remember why we celebrate what we do again join us again 6 o'clock this evening Heavenly Father thank you so much for our time together And I pray that, Lord, if there are those individuals here who do not know you and are not privy to that story of long ago, Lord, they're in the right place. And, Lord, I pray that you speak to their hearts and that you bring them back this evening for another opportunity to hear your story, which is our story, Lord. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son as the ultimate gift for us sinners. Thank you for who you are, what you are, and why we're here. And that's to praise and worship you. Again, thank you for our time together this morning. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at Wintonchurch.com. O-R-G